1: Through Perspectives of Hope in Jesus Christ. How does a well-told tale of someone else's life help us make better sense of our own lives? Bill Cross believes that all people need stories. His focus is on the lives of women and men who have shaped our culture. Their stories are also the stories of their times and their work framing their lives. These stories... Nudge us to ask, Bill Cross says, What do you see? How do you see? What do you not see? And why? Bill is a man of faith. We pause here to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Show is to share how the love of Jesus Christ makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Bill Cross is the author of Winslow Homer, American Passage. He is chair of the advisory board for the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. He managed investment teams and investment portfolios for three decades, while also writing, researching, and lecturing on art, faith, and history. A chartered financial analyst, he was a scholar of the House at Yale College, from which he graduated magna cum laude. He earned an MBA from Harvard Business School. He and his wife live in Manchester, just north of Boston. Bill, welcome to our show.
2: Thank you, Danny. It's an honor to be on your show.
1: First, congratulations on Winslow Homer, American Passage.
2: Thank you. It's been a remarkable journey for me uh, to share in the in the journey of this man who died in 1910 and is for many Americans their favorite painter
1: favorite painter and this book Winslow Homer American passage came out during the pandemic so double congratulations for that bill where did you grow up
2: So I grew up in Manhattan, and as a child, I was well aware of the visual richness of the city of New York, uh, the largest city in the country, and a city then and now with tremendous diversity. I was also grateful that uh, my parents were willing to let me go to the Metropolitan Museum on my own many, many afternoons as a boy from the age of eight and just gave me the freedom to look at works of art, look long at them, and take the take the opportunity to let them speak to me.
1: What was it about looking at a work of art and receiving a message from what you were seeing?
2: So... Like works of literature, works of art need time to open up, and what I found was that I could begin to imagine the lives of the makers of those works and the lives of the people who were the first to see those works. and. In some cases, they were works used in churches. In many cases, they were made for commercial purposes, that they were uh, works that needed to be sold to generate a living for uh, the, the person who made that work. And, um, and I wanted to learn more. As you know from our friendship, I have no shortage of curiosity and curiosity can lead us to many, many questions, hopefully some that are occasionally good questions. I, I found that engaging with those questions enabled me to ask more questions and learn more about other people who had come before and then reflect also about my own time. So growing up in Manhattan in the 1960s, it was a period where, as a country, we were struggling to figure out what it means to, out of many, be one. We are still trying to figure that out.
1: Who would you say, Bill, influenced you most in your growing up years?
2: So there were so many influences. I'm especially grateful for the the teachers that I had um, in elementary and high school and in college. One of them was a man named Vincent Scully, who was a longtime professor of architectural history at Yale. And Vincent Scully, for me and for many, many other people, not only at Yale but around the country, was an inspiration because he brought together head, heart, and hand in his looking at the world around him, responding intellectually and emotionally, and then articulating that response in ways that brought action Many of the people who who were his students became architects, but many others became committed citizens in their neighborhoods who looked at their world and saw it through eyes that were different because of his teaching. They saw a, a community that benefited from for example, uh, income diversity and um, a range of public and private buildings that balanced the, the character of our society, um, Vincent Scully, who was born uh, in about 1917 and – died, I believe, in his 90s, uh, so not so long ago, uh, was a powerful force for me and for many others, and I was grateful to be one of his students.
1: You talk about heart and mind and hand. Share with us your your journey of faith in Christ.
2: So it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I began to have an awareness that I might have a a, a, a vibrant faith. Throughout my uh, childhood, our family went to church, but I have to say, Danny, it wasn't a particularly vital faith for me. Um, And then when I was in business school, I, was in a small Bible study group that uh, enabled me to begin to ask questions that ultimately led, by the time I was 28 or so, to a conviction that improbable, though this truth might seem, it was the truth that Jesus really is not liar, not legend, not lunatic, but Lord. The fact that Jesus was Lord and is Lord violates many of the assumptions of the world around us. It's improbable, but it's true, and it was only through my wrestling through the other options, um, that he could not be liar, could not be lunatic, could not be legend, that I had to conclude that he was Lord. It took me time. And some people are convicted in their faith all at once. Um, For me, stubborn as I am, it took time for me to come to terms with that truth.
1: Someone might be listening today, and indeed they they concur. It's taking time, but they are processing, they are searching, they are meeting, they are asking questions, there are curiosities that drive them, drive them to want to learn more, find out more, and have more conversations. And some are on the way, well on the way, as you were back then, and here you are today. Bill, in what ways have your faith shaped your perceptions of investment and art?
2: So I felt through my investment career that my principal purpose was being a steward and that both in my own management of funds and in my leadership of other people, I was acting out of a, a a kind of sacramental role of stewardship um, and modeling a uh a, an attitude which might inspire others um to also think of their work as as stewardship, balancing The economic interests, um, which were always under pressure, uh, particularly since the investment world has changed a lot and passive products, index funds and ETFs, have taken more and more share um, versus active managers of of the kind where I worked. I also felt – that in my investment work, value was to be found in an arbitrage between truth and perception. Because oftentimes people don't see the whole picture. If you, for example, have a company that trades at $30, and it was once trading at $40, but they had a bad quarter, and so the stock sold off. Um, If you do your homework and you conclude, actually, the stock should be trading at $20 because there's more trouble coming, you don't buy the stock. But if you conclude that the intrinsic value of this company is $55, maybe it makes sense to purchase that stock because you have seen the truth that there is $25 of value above the $30 at which it's trading that other people haven't seen. So that arbitrage between truth and perception was fundamental to how I thought about the act of stewardship. Likewise, in telling a story, whether in the pages of this book or in my speaking engagements, I believe that I'm called to comprehend the perception of how uh, a life may be uh, understood but also to have a true understanding of what that life is and what the time is and talk about the arbitrage, um, the difference between that perception and that truth.
1: We'll certainly get into that, the arbitrage that Bill Cross speaks of. He writes about it in his book, Winslow Homer, American Passage. When we come back you'll hear more from him. You can find out more about Bill Cross, William R. Cross, w r cross.com again w r cross.com. When did his interest in Winslow Homer emerge? Remember I said a story within a story using pencil, watercolor and oil. How did Winslow Homer address hopes and fears of fellow Americans? More from Bill Cross, we'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life they beneath the barren sky.
0: Leave it to me I lead you all.
1: James three thirteen says Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live join our partnership team that's dr Danny. live thank you
3: Hear me Hear me
0: you're listening to the good life with dr Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Bill
1: Cross is author of Winslow Homer, American Passage. He's also chair of the advisory board for the Yale Center for Faith and Culture and president of Citizens Initiative for Manchester Affordable Housing also known as Citizens by the Sea. If you're tuning in right now, maybe you caught the tail end of just that last segment. You can get this program and it's a, in its entirety, you just go to Spotify or Apple, DrDanny.live. And to find out more about this book, Amazon.com and most distributors, it's available for you there. Find out more about Bill Cross, WRCross.com. Bill, when did your interest in Winslow Homer emerge?
2: So I certainly saw Winslow Homer's work as a boy, uh, both in museum galleries and in commercial galleries. Um, He was, in the 1960s, certainly a a well-recognized name even to me as a boy. Um, And I retained an interest in his work over the years, but it wasn't like I had a particular focus on him. Uh, over and above lots of other artists. Um, I was interested in lots of of things um, and and certainly lots of other uh, American and European art makers. But I, uh, my wife and I, as you know, live on the North Shore and I got involved in a museum called the Cape Ann Museum, which... Is in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and for a dozen years I served on the board. And during that time, I came to the conclusion that there was an opportunity for the Cape Ann Museum to do a major exhibition on Winslow Homer's work, and I led uh, an effort to recruit a guest curator to serve as the curator of that show. And we set a plan to have the show launch in August of 2019, just before the pandemic. Um, But along the, the way, on the way to the opening of that show, two things happened. One is that we got much greater cooperation from lenders and donors than we ever could have expected, and the show expanded the scope of the exhibition um, became greater than we could have ever have imagined. The other thing that happened is that the guest curator we recruited, because of many factors, including his other responsibilities, was simply not able to to do that work. And so I ended up stepping into the breach and curating that exhibition myself and writing the 200-page catalog. The show opened on time on August uh, 3rd. 2019, and closed December 1st, 2019, um, which was before the pandemic, and I'm happy that that was the case because we had many, many people come from around the country and around the world to see that exhibition in Gloucester, Massachusetts. At the end of that process, I realized that I had accumulated a lot of knowledge about this man and the 11 years of his formation as a marine painter. I didn't know so much about other aspects of his life, but I knew a lot about those 11 years. And I concluded, uh, despite my first sense that I was not up to the job, but I concluded that I really did have the capability of writing a biography of this man, Cradle to Grave, and that having gone through the process of curating the exhibition, that I had an advantage that many other writers might not have, even those who were steeped in art history. And that is that I wasn't an art historian. I had spent my life making sense as a businessman of stories and that I could tell a different kind of story through this biography than people who were like the three former biographers of Winslow Homer art historians. So I certainly don't claim to uh, have the expertise that many other uh, distinguished authors have. But uh, what I can claim is to be uh, a non-expert and as a generalist, Perhaps come up with a different kind of story, a story that only I can write.
1: Well, you certainly opened up with a compelling story about Arthur Burns. And we hear the names Beecher and Garrison and Hubbard using pencil, watercolor, and oil. And from the beginning, as you bring in a new perspective, how did Winslow Homer? address hopes and fears of fellow Americans?
2: So I think, first and foremost, Winslow Homer grew up with a sense of vulnerability. And this is at odds with a lot of how we are told we should think of ourselves. Um, But Winslow Homer's father was a failed merchant inventor, Uh, His mother was on the old side when she married. Both his mother and father were from families in which there were some significant material successes, but they weren't his parents' successes. And as a child, he and his two brothers were keenly aware of that. His older brother, who he was very close to, was admitted to a school school, just for the most impoverished and talented students in Cambridge. And uh, that allowed him to ultimately go to Harvard and become a leader in the chemicals industry. Um, Winslow Homer and his younger brother probably in neither case finished high school. And they lived for a time close to the poorhouse, the almshouse, um, in Cambridge, they lived uh, downwind from the gas works in a part of Cambridge that is very um, well-to-do today, but wasn't so much then. And yet they knew wealthier people. So I think growing up with poverty and with a recognition that he needed to, uh, to make money And as a relatively young teenager, leave the educational system to make money, he was exposed to a broad range of people, many of them immigrants. And his understanding of the world was shaped by those realities. He also was growing up in a city in which there were strong abolitionists, including members of his uh, mother's longtime church, the Park Street Church, and also many people whose economic fortunes were tied to the status quo. And in fact, his uncles, three of his father's six brothers, settled in Mobile, Alabama, two of them permanently. And the Boston family, the parts of the family that remained living in Boston, had a lively trade with the brothers in Mobile, Alabama. They were dependent, as were many merchants in Boston, on that continued trade, and that tended to push people away from... Their sense of moral understanding about the evils of slavery, Homer saw both sides. And having grown up with an understanding both of the perspectives of those against slavery and those who thought that slavery was a necessary evil, he understood something of the complexity and contradiction in the world. And I think those were important things for him, too, to shape who he became.
1: You write about him being a a, a lithographer. He's 18 years old. What experience did he have that changed his perspectives deep down inside?
2: So as a... As a young man working as an assistant, and apprentice in a lithography shop, he needed to prove his ability, technical ability, um, drawing on limestone blocks with crayon. He also needed to keep learning and seeing what was going on around him. And at the age of... Uh, of as you say, 18, um, he was working in the spring of 1854 in downtown Boston when a, a trial occurred for uh, the violation, as they saw it, of the Fugitive Slave Act. And he he left us no documents to tell us what he thought of this, but he could not have been unaware of it. Everyone in Boston was aware of it. And that trial, which ultimately returned a boy his own age um, who was from Virginia, returned him to the man who claimed he owned that boy, was a turning point in the lives of everyone in Boston who recognized that the crime was a crime done both against that young Virginian and against our own ideals as a country.
1: He goes into uh, take, taking his art, he develops, but he, he moves on during the Civil War. And what was the nature of his art as he went from lithography to
2: actual painting. So the the in-between step was wood engraving. Um, before he made his first exhibited paintings, he was making designs that were sold to newspaper editors and converted into wood engravings which were collaborations with an artisan called a wood engraver. So Winslow Homer Wood and his other draftsman friends and colleagues would come up with a drawing, sell it to the art editor, and then replicate that drawing on wood blocks which would be carved by the wood engraver and in the carving process, the wood engraver would actually convert that drawing to a relief, um, a shallow sculpture, if you will, on the wood block that would allow the drawing to be uh, a print. It would become a print through the printing uh, process, and that was how Winslow Homer made his living for about 20, his principal living for about twenty years.
1: I want to come back to that. Because you talk about it influencing his ability to see and tell a story. Yes. And we talked about that a bit at the beginning with these questions that you asked. Because, Bill, you, you write about his ability to invite viewers into stories on universal, these embedded universal and timeless themes like purpose and meaning. Say more about that.
2: So the the illustrated newspaper which was invented in London and came to the United States in the mid to late 50s was composed of text and wood engravings and it was a mass market product including all kinds of things from story from fiction serialized fiction to stories about recent events in the US, to travel stories. And the pictures were a key part of the success of those illustrated newspapers, the best known of which was Harper's Weekly. And it was because of the strength of Harper's Weekly that Winslow Homer moved from New York from Boston to New York in the summer of eighteen fifty nine the the preeminence of New York in illustrated newspapers was clear and Harper's Weekly was the, the strongest. Um, what those designs necessitated was creating something which on first glance would grab the eye of the of the reader of the illustrated newspaper, but also sustain the eye be something that would have layers of meaning. And what Winslow Homer found a way to do was use geometric shapes to create a first impression that was uh, intriguing, drew the eye, and then would have stories embedded within the design that would be still waiting for the viewer to complete those stories in his or her own mind and heart. And so as an example, during the Civil War when there were so many men at the front, far from their their moms and dads, their wives, um, their children, Winslow Homer made a specialty of depicting life in camp, the life of those men um, who missed all these family members, Um, and of course, some of those newspapers found their way to the camps, but many more of them were sold in cities where people were so eager to have some sense of what their boy's life was like. Most of the Uh, Most of the artists who were working in the field were trying to depict a sense of the war that was almost inevitably a distant sense. Um, But the perspective of the general watching from miles away, the action unfolding, that was kind of boring. But that was what most people did.
1: So this is where you say Winslow Homer was, was an everyday man. Yes. You're listening to Bill Cross. Bill is the author of the biography Winslow Homer, American Passage. It's published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. He's published myriad articles and served as curator of Homer at the Beach, a Marine painter's journey, 1869 to 1880. That's Camp Ann Museum in Gloucester, Massachusetts. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more Well, about after the Civil War, when Winslow Homer went on a trip to France, Bill Cross talked about marine art. Well, there are things that are going to happen, or that happened in Winslow Homer's life, and at the age of 33, he presented something to the public. The reaction, well, Bill Cross will talk about that and how that evolved into the future of Winslow Homer impacting lives. Stay with us. We'll be back. the sky leave it to me i lead you
3: so all you... on behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to the good life with Dr Danny weekdays at 6 p m on w e z e and visiting dr for more resources My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life.
0: Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today.
1: Bill Cross is the the author of Winslow Homer, American Passage. Lance Esplin of the Wall Street Journal described the exhibition Uh, The exhibition that he curated, Homer at the Beach, A Marine Painter's Journey, 1869 to 1880. Esplin says, handsome, historically rich, and perfectly positioned. Find out more about Bill Cross at wrcross.com. The book, Winslow Homer, American Passage, available for you there. Amazon.com and uh, distribution platforms everywhere. Bill, 1866. After the Civil War, Winslow Homer went to France. How did that trip impact his
2: art? So the first thing I should say is that he went to England before he went to France. And he was able to see far more work in both England and France by really important and much different ...painters than he had ever seen in the U.S.
1: Which also says something about him. Yes. Because it wasn't his destination France. And, and, and I, I think I got the writing that he didn't necessarily just rush there as other artists were. Right. He took the slow path.
2: He took the slow path and, and went to England in part because England was the home of J.M.W. Turner who was an extraordinarily gifted British artist and, and a man whose work he had had very little opportunity to see in the US. He also was interested in the, the culture of London and that included an American, his own age, whose name was Whistler. And Whistler had just come back when Homer was in England, had just come back from Chile where he had painted seascapes that were remarkable in their difference from other seascapes um, with a kind of dreamlike character. And while well, we don't have any letters from Homer that says last night I went to the opening of Whistler's show, we have the the newspaper clippings that show what a stir that show made. And we can reasonably infer that just like everybody else in London, Winslow Homer was aware of this and uh, was impressed with what his compatriot had brought So it's likely that Homer spent several months in England before going to France where he had submitted two paintings to the World's Fair that opened in the spring of 1867. And while that big World's Fair was on, there were also other things going on, including a special self-made event that... French painter Gustave Courbet had organized, and another slightly smaller one that another French painter, Edouard Manet, had organized that allowed, because they weren't really welcome um, in the same context as the uh, academic painters, allowed them to show their work. And so Homer had an opportunity to see a lot of work by these painters who were not yet well-represented in the U.S.
1: He returns at the age of 33, Manchester Coast. What was the reaction to his first work on marine art?
2: Yes, so his first marine painting was not a success. Um, One of the critics said that it looked like the work of a boy who has hit a spitball against a wall. Um, the, The painting was ridiculed and it was clearly something that he thought was a strong painting. It didn't sell and he carted away both his own pain at the response to this and the painting itself and uh, never showed it again
1: was he not ahead of his time that splash reflecting a artistic style from another nation
2: he, country he was well aware by then of the power of japanese prints and the ways in which japanese printmakers not only allowed artists to show the way that droplets of water move, but the benefit of having a high horizon line and a contrast between the distant view and the closely observed foreground. These are things that Homer was already absorbing and seeking to show in his art and would become commonplace later. But as you say, he was ahead of his time. And sometimes pioneers get arrows in their backs.
1: You write about Cradle to Grave, this book, Winslow Homer American Passage. You write about his innate longing of all people for salvation on Protz Protz Neck, Maine. What was this longing?
2: So Winslow Homer first uh, became a resident of Maine in 1883. He had visited there when his brother honeymooned there and with enthusiasm less common today, invited their relatives to come visit on their honeymoon. But it wasn't until eight years later that Winslow Homer actually moved from New York to the Maine coast to live year-round at Prouts Neck, Maine. But even when he was a resident there, he was going into Boston and New York and other places with some regularity. But it gave him an opportunity to be immersed in the cycles of the seasons, the sun, the moon, the cycles of, of storm and unexpected turns that I think brought upon him a, a humility when confronted with the forces of nature that had a depth he hadn't had before. And among the first major works that came out after that shift to his living in, in Prout's Neck was a painting called The Lifeline which depicts a, a woman whose life is being saved through a, uh, a breeches-buoy system by a man who is more vaguely described. You can get a sense of the man being strong, um, physically strong, but we don't see much of his, his face. We do see that this is a woman who is exhausted and grateful that she is being saved. And we see this as more than only the saving of her physical life because it is so powerful that we understand this as a call to a deeper kind of salvation.
1: A deeper kind. The story continues as you look at Winslow Homer's paintings. The depth, as Bill Cross mentions. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back in our final segment, uh, a quote from an Anglo-Scott physician. He was... Winslow Homer's favorite writer. He writes about a hand an almighty hand we'll talk about this in relation to an, an invisible benevolent design and perhaps you're in a moment of tension. This is the right place to be. Stay with us, we'll be back with more.
3: Wandering the road of desperate life Famously the barren sky. Leave it to me. I lead you home. Jeremiah 3.3 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a program that was born out of prayer. The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through the good life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the -the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional, That Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live.
0: You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. As
1: Bill Cross has explored the life of Winslow Homer, delving in deeply, layer upon layer, in his book, American Passage, which, by the way, you can find out more about at wrcross.com. It's available on amazon.com and uh, book distributing platforms everywhere available for you. As we delve in, his religiosity, what was Winslow Homer's faith background like, Bill Cross? He had parents that had Christian roots. Where would you say he was in his life?
2: So both of his parents appear to have been very devout Christians. But Winslow Homer's own religious practice, his own habits on Sundays and other days of the week included, as far as we know, no church going. He was highly observant in all aspects of his life other than his religious observance. And that is strangely at odds, not only with the norms of his time, in which people were routinely observant in their religious practices but also surprising in as much as he was deeply rooted in a story, and the story was one of particularity and the significance of each human life and the moral imperative on each of us to act with humility and kindness to those around us. And I can't explain fully what animated this man's lack of rooting in church with his writings and his art that reflect a sense of his understanding of an almighty who ordered the world and who he is ultimately um, held within the hollow of his Lord's hand. But I can only name that. I can also name his sense of of sacred value to the particulars, the particulars of a time, of a place – of the creatures made by God around him and his honoring those lives. And that rootedness in particularity is, to me, very much in keeping with the Christian faith, which is grounded in a story, a story of a historic figure, Jesus, who lived was born in a certain place, lived in a certain place, died in a certain place. And we need to make sense of what that means for us, how we then shall live based on these facts about this man.
1: As we consider more deeply these things that you Explain in the connectivity with the Christianity and the life of Winslow Homer. That period around 1870, 1871, he went through a period of, of depression. You write. And George Chaplin, Child Chaplin, the physician, his favorite writer wrote Everything bears the mark of order impressed upon it by the Almighty Hand.
2: What did that mean? So I think to t- Homer, I think to Homer what it meant was that when he opened his eyes he was seeing a world that had a benevolent design and was overseen by an active god, a god who cared about each of the inhabitants of this world. And each moment of the world's actions and the actions with which the human um, creatures who are empowered to be more powerful than other creatures, that these are – they are in made in God's image and given the – Authority to, to act for the best stewardship of this creation of gods as creators themselves. And as a painter, he was keenly aware of his own creative gifts. I believe that in his annotations of this book by this Anglo Scots physician. He was showing how meaningful the scientific evidence was, including from Darwin, that that evidence showed that the world in which we live is not a world of happenstance or chaos. It is a world of order, just order that we can see only partially. We glimpse God's glory. We don't see it fully. But as we grow, we live in humility that we may see more. And ultimately, we may see God face to face.
1: You say in the P- one of the PBS segments, you talk about essential lessons of Winslow Homer. Travel widely, experiment boldly, love deeply. Someone today is longing to be loved deeply. Someone might be in their own season of depression. But in these words, these essential lessons, would you, in a way, turn that into a prayer for a listener who's listening, maybe in process like you were in your your 20s, seeking to find God to find
2: Christ, yes, yes. Um, I would like to pray now with with each of you listening to this. Heavenly Father, you have given us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear, and the wisdom to shut out the noise of the world and to open our eyes to what you have made the beauty of the moment and the beauty of the people who cross our paths thank you for all that you have given us our hands, our heads our hearts. And may we use these gifts for your glory. All this we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Bill Cross, thank you for being with us today.
2: My pleasure, Danny. It's great to be with you.
1: Illuminating words from Bill Cross. W cross, My friend, look, God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Go to Live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. First Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Bill Cross, WRCross.com. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, and guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone
0: today.